0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd just like to make this disclaimer because um, it's namely my, my family this morning that's pretty uh, rambunctious and noisy. I'd just like to say that uh, it's a sad day whenever we don't have people in the church chasing around their young ones. Um, there's a lot of people, a lot of congregations in this area that would love to have that problem. And whenever we don't have that in the church, it means that the church is dying. And so that's always a wonderful blessing. You know, those uh, paintings that you see of Jesus, uh, whenever the children have been brought to him and you see those lovely pictures of Jesus sitting there with all the children and they're well attentive and so forth. Just want to tell you, those pictures are lies. They are lying to you. And the truth is, is that uh, you know that some of those kids probably had a fistful of beard and they were tugging on Jesus's cloak and so forth. And this is why the disciples were saying, stay away from the Lord, you know? And Jesus said, no, bid them come. Suffer the little children to come to me because to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. All right. If you've ever heard a sermon or gone through a Bible study on the book of Ruth, Chances are that you were challenged to compare yourself, to compare your life to that of Ruth, especially if you're a woman. Right? Ruth is rightly held up as a paragon of Christian virtue. She's this true embodiment of of the proverbs thirty one righteous woman. That's who she is, man. she uh, she fires on all cylinders. She's a really, really faithful woman. And so especially if you're a woman in the room, you've grown up in the church, you've often heard that we need to, as ladies, be more like Ruth. Or I'll bet, especially if you're a man, that you have been challenged to compare your life to Boaz, which is typical whenever men get a hold of this text. See, Boaz is the redeemer. He's the one who shows mercy uh, and faithfulness and kindness to Ruth and all of her family. He's the one that provides Sounds very manly, sounds very macho. And he, right alongside Ruth in this story, in this account, they are both symbols of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who shows us mercy and will give us aid and comfort in any life circumstance we find ourselves in. And it's perfectly fine. It is a good thing for us to compare our lives to this faithful man and this faithful woman. That is a good thing, to follow them, to emulate them as they emulate Christ. But I think for many of us, if we're honest, we find that our Christian experience doesn't align so closely with Ruth and with Boaz. It, or it doesn't align as closely as we'd like to hope. We often don't find ourselves responding to difficult life circumstances with that bravery and that faithfulness of Ruth. Or showing mercy and care to the widows and to the orphans uh, and, and the poor that Boaz did. We'd like to be thought of in that way. We want that type of stuff to go on our headstone one day. And we'd love to be the hero of our own stories. But we know that we fall woefully short. But there's a third main character in this story, in this book of Ruth. One who more easily aligns with many of our circumstances. And her name is Naomi. Naomi, which means pleasant, pleasant. But she found her life was anything but. It was the exact opposite. And you've all been there. And some of you are going through it right now. I know, because I talked to you. You've had to say goodbye to those you love. Some far too soon. You have a deployed spouse. You can't shake the sting of sadness that comes from knowing it will be a while yet until you are reunited. You've had to go through the horror of divorce and this affects you every day. You deal with those wounds on a daily basis. You experience tension and strife in your home and in your family life. You you have a debilitating disease and the treatments just aren't all that effective anymore. You have a difficult job that you go to that you might provide for your family, but it takes a toll on your soul and you daily think about what it might look like to get into something else. And these are all wildly different circumstances, but I'm just scratching the surface. That's just random thoughts about what's going on with our people, with our group. And I'm not trying to make one person's hardship on the same level as another person's hardship. And I'm not trying to pretend it's all equal, but we all experience it. We all taste that sting of bitterness, of hardship and difficulty in this life. And the sorrow that you and I endure, the sorrow that we endure is often enough to think that it's often enough, uh, uh, potent enough to make us think that God is out to get us. That he's onto our case, that we did something a long time ago and now it's time to pay the piper. And this is how he's exacting his pound of flesh. It's enough to make you bitter. It's very real. This is no joke, and I think that we would do well to pay attention to Naomi's story. By the end of that first chapter that we read this morning, that Carol read for us, Naomi no longer wanted to be called by her name, Pleasant. Rather, she opted for a different name. She called herself Mara. Mara. So whenever they went to Bethlehem, she insisted that all of her peers call her this name Mara, which means bitter, bitter. She had been through it, and she was going through it still. Our Old Testament lesson gave us an introduction into her circumstances. She fled her home country of Israel, going into Moab in search of food. She was with her husband and her two sons. And think about how difficult that is right out of the gate that she has to leave the comforts of the promised land. She has to leave the safety, the protection, everything that God had said that this land would provide. She has to leave all that behind and she has to go into a place called Moab, which historically has been associated with God's enemies. So she finds herself a sojourner in a foreign land, namely among God's enemies. It was hard times. I mean, think about what type of hunger you would experience for you to make that journey. It was hard times. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28, God told his people, he said that if they rebelled against him, that if they committed false worship and they gave themselves over to foreign gods, that it would cost them their crops. And this is probably what was happening because that happened over and over and over in Israel. But things got worse for no- uh, for Naomi. While she was in Moab, the first thing that happened was that her husband died. Now in those days, this. Many of you well know, a widow did not fare all that well on her own. She would have no means to provide for herself, which is why God set up a system to provide for widows in the land of Israel under the old covenant Levitical law. She had her two sons to rely on, to, uh, to, to be protected, to draw upon their income. And those two men had taken Moabite wives for themselves, Ruth and Orpah. So momentarily, things were looking pretty good. All right. Yes, her husband has died, but she's going to be cared for. She's going to be provided for. Now imagine the tears and the heartache, the sorrow, the bitterness, whenever her two sons died as well. Imagine having to shoulder that burden not only for herself, but also for her grieving daughters-in-law as well. None of them had a means of provision. They didn't know what they were going to do. And so it made sense whenever, whenever Naomi turns to her daughters-in-law, when she tried to get them go to go back to their homes, and even though uh, it would leave Naomi without the companionship of these daughters-in-law that she had come to love, she was willing to endure that loss for the sake of her uh, family's future. She was willing to let them go so that they might have a life. So they came together. She insisted that they leave her, that they might find rest, in the houses of their future husbands. And when both daughters-in-law refused, she pressed even further. She said, turn back, my daughters. Turn back. Why will you go with me? Yet uh, Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? She had no prospect of a husband. No promises for them. Nothing to give to them. And even if she could conjure up a good man, Even if she could bear sons with him, which was unlikely, would they be willing to stick around for them to grow up and to become men and to become eligible bachelors? The writing was on the wall, of course, and Orpah, for her part, was convinced. She kissed her mother-in-law and she went back to where she came from. But Ruth, out of faithfulness to Naomi, clung to her, would not leave her side, she vowed to always remain with Naomi, pledging herself both to Naomi's God and to Naomi's people. And it's here in this part of the story that we see the seeds of redemption that are sown in the life of Naomi. God was working through this small family to bring provision, even though it was hidden to Naomi's eyes at the time. Through the loyalty and the faithfulness of Ruth, see, God was showing his loyalty, his faithfulness to Naomi to provide for her daily bread, but also to provide for her salvation, her redemption, her life, redemption from her bitterness and sorrow, but also from sin and death. One that she did not work for. One one that she did not even lift a finger for. And we see the tide start to turn when Naomi sets her sights to take Ruth with her into Bethlehem, a place where God had visited his people and provided bread. And though she was bitter whenever she got there, though she bore the scars of mourning and grief, God would visit her nonetheless, and he would work behind the scenes in the vocations of faithful people. So if you're not familiar with the story, or many of you are, but in chapter 2, we see Ruth. She meets the faithful paragon of manliness and godliness, Boaz, right? She's gleaning from the sheaves that are left in his field because God had made provision for the widows, uh, for the sojourners, and for the poor that they were allowed to uh, to, to gather all those gleanings, all that was left behind from the first harvest. And Boaz saw the character of Ruth. He learned of her devotion to her Israelite mother-in-law. He was impressed by her loyalty. And he took special measures to protect her while she gleaned from his fields. And he even invited her over for a meal. So when Ruth brought food home to Naomi and told her what had happened, Naomi was delighted because as it turned out, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer of this family, meaning that Boaz had a legal obligation to take ownership of the husband's property and to see to the ongoing provision and protection of the family and to initiate this redemption process. Check this out. I want you to hear this. To initiate this redemption process by which the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer would take ownership of this property. Ruth had to make her intentions known to Boaz and she had to make herself presentable according to Levitical law. So she did. Keep that in your back pocket. So long story short, Boaz, in an act of faithfulness, mercy, and kindness, took Ruth as his wife, this Moabite woman, who now took shelter in the home, in the house of her husband. He became her and Naomi's kinsman redeemer, one who would protect them, one who would provide for their future. And by the end of the book, we see a radically different Naomi. No longer called Mara. No longer called Bitter. She was restored back to her old name, Pleasant, because God had provided for her in ways that she could not have even imagined. At the end of the book, she has her peers calling her blessed because the Lord had not left her without a redeemer. He had not left her without a daughter-in-law who loves her. And to top it all off, she had a child resting on her lap, the child born to Boaz and Ruth, The child that the women named Ovid, who represented not only hope, not only hope for Naomi's future lineage, but hope for all nations. Because Obed would be a father to Jesse, who would be a father to David. No act of the will could have fixed Naomi's situation. It's not anything that she did. No number of self-help books would have given her the strength to rise above her helpless condition and her helpless scenario. No amount of law-keeping and good works could have righted the ship for the promise of her future. Only God could do those things. And God has a way of taking our bitterness and our tears and our sadness and turning them into hope and salvation. You see, Naomi found her redemption in Bethlehem, the place where God had visited his people the place where God eventually sent King Jesus to be born, just six miles south of Jerusalem called the City of God. Naomi was rendered completely dependent on the law-keeping of another. Naomi could not make herself presentable enough to garner God's provision, to gain salvation from her situation. She could not pretty herself up enough. She could not pull herself up by her own bootstraps but this person in the story that does the law keeping for her is ruth naomi could not wish her way out of a desperate situation she could not provide food for herself and for ruth but boaz did god was at work the whole time doing what he does best working for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes So think back to your situation, whatever it is that you're going through or the thing that you have been through and you're still affected by because we make for very poor imitations of Ruth and Boaz and we do much better as Naomi, but that's okay because because God does the same thing for us that he did for Naomi. Naomi. Even though you have had your fair share of sorrow and anguish in this life, God does not leave you there. So like Naomi, as you faithfully wait for him, he is working for your good in ways that you don't even understand. He has already secured your salvation for you. He has already granted you eternal life in his kingdom Not because of anything that you have done, not because of any good works that you've done, but because of the law-keeping of another. The law-keeping of Jesus, the Messiah. And by sending his son, Jesus Christ, the one who was born in the line of King King David in a certain city called Bethlehem, the one who came from the blood of a certain Moabite woman named Ruth, God shows us that he knows exactly what we need exactly the right time. Christ became our kinsman redeemer by taking on our flesh, by making himself presentable under the law so that he could win eternal salvation and life for us and for all who believe through his death and through his resurrection. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to will yourself into it. You were Naomi. He was your Ruth, your Boaz, your family who pledged his faithfulness to you to provide for you every step of the way, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And just as God gave Naomi hope of a future in a son born to Ruth, he has now given us that same hope through a son born to Mary. God was faithful to Naomi's family and he was faithful through her family. By lavishing redemption both upon her and upon the whole world through the promise of a redeemer. And because you know this. Because you know that Christ has come. You know that he has not abandoned you in those times when you would rather be called Mara than your own name. Instead, he's at work. He is at work visiting you through the people in your life who support you in those bitter times. But even more than that, church, he visits you here and now in the means of grace. In the means of grace to give you what you need. To give you what you need to face all of those challenges in this life. He gives you provision for today in the forgiveness of sins. He gives you hope for your future, that life of the world to come that is ours in Christ Jesus. You find rest. You find rest in the house of your husband, your kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus, who will one day turn all of your sorrow into joy at his coming. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.